So the theme I want to explore this morning is going into the dark. And I want to explore that in um, several different meanings. And they're they're quite related to what we've just been exploring with with the questions. So I want to explore what it means to go into the dark first in terms of the physical reality of less light. But then I want to look at some areas which we uh, talk about in terms of, we might say, the metaphor of this is dark. And I want to talk about darkness as ignorance, darkness as um, fertile, as productive, darkness as difficult, and darkness as unknown and mysterious. And my thought is that I will explore some of that territory today and invite us all in the next week to do take-home darkness practice, to explore in various ways how we might more skillfully uh, go into the dark, and then come back next week and explore the theme further. And again, I think it relates very much to the uh, questions area. So, because I, I I love it when we can explore a theme more than once and have, uh, as it were, the community uh, to as much as we um, have the time and energy and intention to really work with a theme and 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 be bringing energy to it and then and see how that manifests in different parts of our life. So I want to first talk about the, uh, the general phenomenon that this is a time when we are going into the dark. We may not uh, be totally aware of that on this beautiful, bright day, and probably the talk might be better given at night. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but maybe not, maybe not. So we're, we're, we're going into this uh, season of darkness, this time of less light, and, and at least on, in this half of the, uh, of the planet. And when, we, when I asked people to name certain themes, uh, this was one of the themes uh, that they'd like to hear explored and discussed a few weeks ago, this was one of the themes mentioned. In fact, I'm, going to try, I'm trying to integrate some of what people asked for. One of the themes was, what's the, what does it mean to uh, understand our practice in a time that's, um, that's uh, going into darkness? And, and so it's a wonderful uh, time to explore um, because what is, what is nature like at a time of darkness? It's a lot of things come to come to a close, the leaves have mostly fallen off, there's a certain quality of resting and getting ready for what comes next. Uh, there's a time of reflection. In a lot of cultures that are more closely connected to the natural world, the uh, dark time is a time of going deeper. It's a time of, um, in many native cultures, it's a time of ceremonies. It's a time when, when the... Uh, work of the 
spring and summer and fall has been done, and the winter time is a time of uh, resting and going deeper. Naturally enough, what does our culture do? We get more crazy and speedy <laughs> instead of and shop, you know. <laughs> we may, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to go where I was going to go, but, uh, was, well, I will. <laughs> it was, it was, but I was, I was thinking that maybe our deeper security is not so much in shopping, but in actually resting and using the, the winter for a time of reflection and, and going more deeply rather than being so crazy. So if we, the first thing we can say is that uh, if, in terms of our practice, that if we want to be more like what the natural world is doing and slow down somewhat in this time, we have to go against the uh, culture somewhat, against the society, and we have to be conscious of that. Things are so quick and speedy and, you know, no one ever scheduled, people are very much avoid scheduling retreats in December <laughs> because they'll have lower attendance, which is kind of the opposite of maybe the way it should be. Right? So, of course, everything does come to a halt after Christmas for a while, for a little while. So, um, And so it's, it's, I think, part of this first sense of going into the dark is getting, maybe is being more attuned to the natural cycles. What would it be like if we actually study what occurs in the dark, what occurs with greater darkness. And one of the wonderful qualities of um, this particular planet is that we, um, we have these cycles of light and dark that occur not just seasonally, but occur every day. So we have a chance to go into the dark every day, if you think about it. You know, um, we can approach the darkness um, every evening. And how do, we, how do we do that? I think that's, it's really a wonderful question to look, what's my relationship to the darkness? What's my relationship to the light? Uh, to, to, uh, to look to rest. And I wanted to read something which is uh, one of my, from one of my favorite books um, from the Northwest Native Cultures called The Raven Steals the Light which is about the origin of light. Light comes out of darkness rather than vice versa. And I wanted just to read you the, about the state of darkness. And Raven, as some of you know, is the trickster figure in this culture. And Raven actually is the person who brings light to the world. And he, he did it pretty much for self-centered reasons, as you'll, as you'll find out. So let me just read you about the state of darkness. Before there was anything, before the great flood had covered the earth and receded, before the animals walked the earth or the trees covered the land or the birds flew between the trees, even before the fish and the whales and seals swam in the sea, an old man lived in a house on the bank of a river with his only child, a daughter. Whether they were attractive people or unattractive people doesn't really matter much to the story which takes place in the dark. Because at that time, the whole world was dark. Inky, pitchy, all-consuming dark, blacker than a thousand stormy winter midnights, blacker than anything anywhere has been ever since. The reason for all this blackness had to do with the old man in the house by the river, which had a box, which contained a box, which contained a box, which contained an infinite number of boxes, each nestled in a box slightly larger than itself, until finally... There was a box 
so small it could, all it could contain was all the light in the universe. The raven, who of course existed at that time, because he has always existed and always would, was somewhat less than satisfied with this state of affairs, since it led to an awful lot of blundering around and bumping into things. <laughs> it slowed him down <laughs> a good deal in his pursuit of food <laughs> and other fleshly pleasures and his constant efforts to interfere and to change things. And so the, the story is about how the raven steals the light so he doesn't have to bump into things. And this is, how, this is pretty much how the universe got set in motion. So, um, I think it's, it's wonderful that we can actually, uh, you know, when we meditate, we spend time in the dark, don't we? we clo- most of us close our eyes, we're in the dark. There's actually a Tibetan retreat, which is called the Dark Retreat, some of you know, where you spend seven days in total darkness as a retreat. And it's, I've never done it, but it sounds very amazing. And some of you, I know, have experienced uh, the, the beauty of meditating in the dark in, you know, in, in retreats in the mornings or sometimes all night and just being, being in the darkness. So I think out of that sense of physical darkness come a lot of the metaphors, which are, which are the other aspects of, being, of going into the dark, you know, that when we're in the dark, we, uh, we, we can't see. So that forms like a metaphor uh, for ignorance, you know, that we... Um, and yet there are interesting things happening, which forms the metaphor for the dark being fertile. And there's, we uh, bump into things, which relates to the dark being difficult. And it's mysterious. We don't know what's happening sometimes, and that's, that relates to another metaphor. So the second aspect of darkness, of going into the dark, that I want to talk about is the way that when we go into the dark, we go into our own ignorance. We go into the quality of not knowing, of um, being confused. There's a, there's a way in which we can um, have the sense of going into the darkness. And it's, I think it's what we do when we meditate, really. We, we, in a way, are opening ourselves up to know what we don't know, to explore our ignorance. And it's a very interesting quality of human beings that we can actually explore and come to know what we don't know or how we don't know. That it's almost, I, I think of the image that some of you know, I think it's a late medieval image of this being um, pushing through um, like the top of the atmosphere and going into a celestial world. Do you know that, that image? Of, so uh, it, it's kind of like a person who's half in ignorance and half coming to knowledge. And I think we're Maybe that's our normal state. We're kind of poised between knowing and not knowing. And I think this is why practice is possible. Without that uh, interesting quality of human beings, practice wouldn't be possible. And so the Buddha said that the reason that he taught was that some, some of us have only a little dust on our eyes. It's a metaphor of we're in the dark because we have dust in our eyes, but some of us have not so much dust that it's impossible to practice. Again, another metaphor that uses is that we have veils before us. And spiritual practice is to remove the veils so that we're not so much in the dark. And there's, there's a way in which we can almost feel our own ignorance. I, I like to sometimes, you might even right now, 
what parts of your body are you unaware of? You can almost like, for most of us, it may be part of our back. Can you actually get a sense of where, of, of being aware of where you're unaware? There's a sense in which we can kind of know where we're ignorant. And we can, we can move in that direction. We can go into the dark. I wanted to read um, one of the uh, classic poems of, about uh, ignorance. It comes from our present uh, Secretary of Defense. <laughs> it was actually made into a poem by others. It was, it's actually... It's actually I have here the transcript of his February 12, 2002 uh, news briefing. And this is, this is his poem. It's about ignorance. As we know, that I think this was an, a question about weapons of mass destruction, and this, is, this was his answer. As we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know that there are known unknowns. That is to say, there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. <laughs> I am not making this up. <laughs> there are also unknown unknowns, the ones that we don't know that we don't know. And then someone later asked him, about these weapons of mass destruction, are they, are they an unknown unknown? <laughs> and he says, I'm not saying. <laughs> now, if you, if you think about it, he actually mentioned three possibilities. And the one that he didn't mention was the unknown known, which is actually very telling because it's the unknown known, which is the ways that our knowledge actually reflects ignorance. And that's what he didn't mention, which is, is fascinating, isn't it? I and mean, it's the quality in which our knowledge itself can be a form of ignorance. You know, we can be in the dark because we know too much or we know certain things. And he didn't go there. I haven't, I haven't told him that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so there's also so there, there's that, that second sense of darkness as ignorance, and it's something we can explore. You might think of even reflecting on where am I like that person moving out of the, moving out of the known and exploring? What, what are the areas where I'm moving to um, come more uh, into the areas where I'm, where I'm ignorant? And again, it's, a fasc- it's fascinating that we can actually uh, reflect like this. So the, th- the, the third area is the area of darkness as fertile. Darkness as um, uh, productive, we might say. And that's, again, not very hard to see that this comes from the uh, metaphor of the natural world. That what's happening when everything is dark? Definitely not nothing, right? Things are getting ready. Things are getting ready to come into bloom. And there's a way in which what appears dark can be very... um, very rich and very, very beautiful. We can think of the way that um, every night 
when we go into the dark, we also go into the dream world. And the dream world carries those kind of fertile seeds, we might say. And so we can have uh, perhaps a sense that we can embrace the darkness as yielding, uh, yielding wonderful, beautiful qualities. I wanted to read a, a poem which comes from, let's see, which comes from the, um, let me see if I can find this. Yep. This comes from the Cree uh, native peoples. And it's about the, uh, the powerful quality of being in touch with the darkness and the way that it leads to richness. All the warm nights sleep in, moon, in moonlight. Keep letting it go into you. Do this all your life. Do this, you will shine outward in old age. The moon will think you are the moon. So keep letting the night get into you. Do this all your life and you will shine outward in old age. The moon will think that you are the moon. Um, and it's interesting that the Buddha really came to awakening, what? During the night. You know, during the period, and if you read the text, it's a very beautiful text. You can read about how in the different watches of the night, different insights came. And so it's, it's again, for the way that when we sit with our eyes closed, we go into the dark, and in meditation, insights come to us. We see things metaphorically, sometimes uh, literally. And there's a way in which we can uh, really embrace the darkness. Um, let me see, there's... Um, let see if I can find this. There's a beautiful, there are beautiful uh, poems by Rilke. The poet Rilke spoke a lot about the, the, the fertile quality of darkness. He said, I love the dark hours of my being. He said, deep in the darkness is God. I am born out of darkness. And so there's, there's a way in which we can really um, embrace the darkness as something that's um, not only uh, having to do with ignorance, but there are other qualities connected with the dark. And we can let the dark be something which generates um, richness, richness for us, insight, um, creativity. But there's also the, the fourth quality is the quality of the darkness as difficult. This is the quality of the raven bumbling around and knocking into things. So we, we also use the metaphor of uh, darkness as a difficult time. You know, darkness as a time when things are hard. And this, again, I think relates to the questions that we can take our practice as informing us about how to be with the dark times that are difficult. You know, just as we can use our practice to not be scared of the unknown that could be potentially fertile, we can also use our practice to be with the darkness that's, that, are, that are difficult, the sadness or the, the, uh, the anger or the, the um, confusion. And I, I think as many of us know, this is one of the great powers of uh, spiritual practice generally and meditation in particular, that it gives us a way 
to make uh, difficulties uh, much more workable. And, and in fact, for many of us, this is one of the first revelations that we may have had about, about spiritual practice, that rather than difficulties becoming simply curses and problems, they become rather uh, not only workable, but potential learning experiences. And that quality of transforming difficulties from curses to learning situations is an incredible gift, isn't it? I mean, it totally changes life. You know, we're, we're not so much just trying to get rid of our problems, but we want to respond so that we can learn. We can want to use difficult people, not just as problems, that we want, who we want, want to get rid of, although some of them we might want to have them change professions. <laughs> uh, but we... Okay, let's see what happens now. <laughs> okay, I just had to do that. <laughs> so, um, so, if we were taking this fourth quality of darkness as an invitation to practice, it would be to say okay, there's a difficult situation here. How can I learn from it? And how can I not go into my uh, condition pattern of just taking the difficult as a problem, a curse, someone else's problem, someone else caused it, it's their problem, not my problem. You know, bring me back to having no problems. (laughs) And that that kind of uh, very conditioned thinking. Um, and I was thinking of this in a few different ways. Um, you know, just, just the difficulties of life. I had a, I was, I had a friend uh, who, uh, just yesterday, I heard that a uh, close friend, her brother, just attempted suicide, you know. And just being, you know, and we, we sometimes share here just the, the difficulties of living, you know. And how can we, how can we uh, be with those inevitable difficulties in a different way? How can we be with the small challenges of being um, having a, a minor sickness or a difficult um, interaction with someone we're close to or not so close to, to the larger difficulties? How can we take that in the spirit of our practice? How can we take that quality of darkness, you might say, as uh, something that we can practice with? And I was thinking about this partly in terms of our political situation because using that metaphor of darkness, we're going into a dark time, I, th- I believe. We're going into a time when there, there's uh, very likely to be much greater fear, a lot of, could be a lot of things that are almost beyond our imagination. It's conceivable. You know? And how do we, how do we um, use that in the spirit of practice? Maybe, maybe like the quotation that I read a few weeks ago, from uh, Clarissa Pincola Estes, who said, uh, don't lose heart, we are made for these times. It's a very different perspective. Right? Okay, yes, darker times, difficult times. Not to take it so much as a curse, but can I take this as, oh yes, this is calling forth something from me, from us, from, from um, human evolution that can maybe move to bring something new into being. It's a very different way of looking at the difficult times. Really with the... Um, Really, with the, with with it's really saying that there's something larger than the difficulty. That there's something more basic, deeper in ourselves than the difficulty, and 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 being able to touch that. And I think that's why spiritual practice or meditation is so important, because to touch what's deeper than the difficulty is what makes the difficulties workable. 
And it's our practice that can, that can take us into what's deeper than the difficulties. We can touch whatever, whatever it is, the larger perspective, the quality of love, the, the um, understanding, and so forth, that can help us with those, with those uh, difficulties. The last quality that I want to explore is the quality of the dark as unknown and mysterious. And that's the quality that I invoked with the guided meditation at the, at the end of the sitting. You know, can we approach our experience uh, and appreciate the mystery, appreciate the unknown, let go to some extent of our need to control through knowledge. You know, this would be, this is I think one of the challenges of our practice and it's one, it's, it's something that we very much learn in our practice. We, we learn all the ways that we um, construct things, that we use concepts, that we have our kind of smaller knowledge um, gets in the way of opening fully to the present, opening fully to what's mysterious. Um, there's, a, there's a wonderful book that some of you may know uh, that Krishnamurti wrote. It's called Freedom from the Known. And it really relates to this mysterious quality of experience. I wanted to read just a little bit of this book, or a little, little book, bit of, I think it's from the first chapter. He says, to understand ourselves needs no authority either of yesterday or a thousand years ago because we are living things, always moving, flowing, never resting. When we look at ourselves with the dead authority of yesterday, we will fail to understand the living movement and the beauty and quality of that movement. To be free of all authority, of your own and that of others, is to die to everything of yesterday so that your mind is always fresh, young, innocent, full of vigor and passion. It is only in that state that one learns and observes. And for this, a great deal of awareness is required, actual awareness of what is going on inside you without correcting it or telling it what it should do or should not be, because the moment you correct it, you have established another authority, a censor. So he's inviting that quality of opening without the constricting dimensions of knowing. And it's... um, it's to open to the way in which this present moment is, is incredibly mysterious. I mean, I love when I can um, be in touch with that reality. This moment right now never happened before. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, sometimes in speaking, I wonder what I am about to say because I have no idea what I'm about to say and what will it be and it's just all coming creatively into the moment and what is it? And it's, it's a beautiful quality. My, my, um, my niece used to, when she was four or five year, old, five year old, she used to get into total stream of consciousness monologue like that just without any planning or any need for anything. She would come to the dinner table and she would give a, a stream of conscious monologue at five years old for half an hour, <laughs> and it was the whole um, kitchen sink was in there. I mean, she would talk about anything in her mind, including and I don't including at some moments in the half hour, she would say, "I hate you, mommy. I hate you, daddy. I love you." You know, everything was there. It was uncensored. It was really <laughs> incredible, and it was 
It was like giving this free rein to the mystery of, of being. And of course, we learned that after five years old, it's not so socially acceptable to do that. <laughs> and so we, we constrict ourselves. But it's, I think, you know, this is, this is what we come to later in life. We come back to practice, which is to come back. It's, it, is a, it is a childlike quality of being open to the moment, open to the mystery, open, open to what's there. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful quality of our practice. It's a wonderful way of uh, being in the moment. It's, it's at, the heart of our pra- at the heart of our meditation practice. You know, the, there's somewhere the, let me see, the, the, Buddha, the Buddha once said, do not pursue the past. Do not lose yourself in the future. The past no longer is. The future has not yet come. Looking deeply at life as it is in the very here and now, the practitioner dwells in stability and freedom. So it's quality of opening to what's unknown, opening to being in the darkness, but letting there be something new which comes and something which can tell us something, which can bring us understanding. There's a, it's a wonderful poem by Neruda, which is about this quality. I wanted to read, see if I can find that. This is about being in darkness and opening to darkness, opening to the mystery, and something may come of it. He says, if each day falls inside each night, there exists a well where clarity is imprisoned. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. We need to sit on the rim of the well of darkness and fish for fallen light with patience. And so we can, we can ask, how can I bring that quality of opening to mystery? How can I deepen that sense? And we can ask that in a number of different ways. We can ask, how can I do that just in my moment-to-moment experience? In my meditation, how can I, can I take some part of every meditation and just say, this is not the time to plan my novel. <laughs> this is not the time to plan lunch. <laughs> I will sit here and open to the mystery. And can we take our meditation like that? Can we take maybe an interaction like that with, with our friends or people close to us, other people close to us? Can we... Can we open to that sense of mystery? You know, and it, it, it's a kind of letting go. Ne- next time I think I'm going to talk more about what are the qualities which help us open to the darkness in this sense, to, to go into the darkness. And one of them is the quality of being able to let go. Can we let go to just be present with what's there? Can we open to the mystery on perhaps a... Uh, in perhaps a longer time frame, of what is my heart calling me to do? Many of us are asking that question, maybe at this time of the year, but also maybe at this time in our lives. What am I called to do to deepen? To open, can, how, how do I open to the mystery of my own vocation? 
of who I am and what I might be? How can I, how can I deepen in that? And that's another kind of listening for the mystery that we can do, a kind of opening to the unknown, the mystery. I know for, for myself, um, there was a period about five years ago when I felt I was getting too busy and doing too much, and something of a deeper nature was uh, getting obscured. And I was able to, at that time, to take about a year with much fewer responsibilities with my work and really take about a year and have very drop a lot of my structures and go into the mystery being confident, having faith that something deeper would emerge. I didn't exactly know what it was, but it's a quality of mystery. And that, it's that quality which I think many of us know of knowing, okay, what's, what do I need to do now? Well, I don't know, and maybe my mind feels too cluttered. Let me take steps that can go more deeply into the mystery and listen and be there with the darkness and, and have some confidence that something will come out of that. And I think that's an ability that we cultivate in all of these levels. We cultivate it when we sit quietly and listen. We cultivate it when we open to the unknown with people close to us. And then we, I think we cultivate it also with some of the larger issues of our life. How do we open to that quality of mystery? How do we sit with that? So I think I'll leave that as a question and an invitation for us in the next week to explore in our own ways some of those qualities of going into the dark, both going into the dark in terms of the season, observing nature, what's, na- what's happening with the natural world, going into the darkness of our own ignorance, going into the fertile darkness, the way that the darkness is actually yielding uh, riches, going into the darkness of difficulty, and finally going into the darkness of mystery. How can we bring that into uh, the next week if we so choose? So I'll stop here and invite your reflections and questions and comments. So thank you very much. I'll say a few things, and then maybe others might also have have some contributions, Um, because other other people, I'm sure, work with variants of of that. I think probably we all do in some ways. Um, A few things. Um, I love what Jack Kornfield said once, which was that, what is fear? Fear is the sign that we're going to learn something soon, because it's it's uh, telling us we're a little bit beyond where we're, excuse me, where we're comfortable. So one perspective would be that fear could be, in part, the fertile darkness. Not what we usually think. But to have at least a little bit of that perspective could, could be helpful. Um, something that I do personally um, particularly in the middle of the night. If there's something, if, I'm, if I wake up and I'm in the grip of some pattern, some difficult pattern, whether it's fear or self-judgment or, or anger, is I go instantly into, okay, this is practice time. So having the intention to, to bring a quality of awareness doesn't always work so well. 
But to have that intention, I have found personally extremely helpful. And it takes some time to be able to do that. So if I, so because ultimately it's to become really familiar with the thought patterns and to actually study the thought patterns which um, are connected with fear. Because they're, they're, it's not just the fear, there, there are actually a lot of beliefs that are there. There are a lot of, there, there actually some fairly, there are some thought patterns which you can actually identify. It might be helpful to actually write down as much as you can what the uh, contents are of your thoughts at those moments. Because a part of it is bringing that into, into clarity. In some ways, this is also the darkness as ignorance, because the fear is a lot of the stuff that we, it just comes and kind of takes us over, and we don't know what's there. And so naming some of the thought patterns could be helpful, because in the long run, it's to um, part of the work, not, not all of it. Part of it would be to um, explore fear and not be afraid of fear. And so naming, okay, this is practice time can be helpful. Identifying the contents can be very helpful. And looking at fear in maybe less difficult circumstances, making fear a subject to explore. So you can look at it when it's not so threatening. You know, maybe the fear of, I don't know, of um, something happening that you don't want to happen at work or with interactions or something and, and study that some. So those, those are a few things which occur. It's kind of the reframing, going to practice, studying the fear. And something else, maybe just one other thing I'll mention, there, there, there are two general strategies with difficult states. One general strategy is to go into the difficult state and be with it. The other strategy is to give a kind of an antidote. And that might be to work with loving-kindness practice. Or to when, you know, like I do this sometimes. If I'm having really difficult states come over me, and uh, probably the ones I've worked with the most are, are judgment. Like strong judgments come. And sometimes now I just go, if it occurs, I just go to um, loving kindness, just to a difficult, a, as, an, as a conscious antidote, something to bring one into balance. And because and, sometimes it's too hard to go right into the stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be useful then, to, rather than go into the stuff, we shift the energy some. It's a little bit like a martial arts move. You know, we, we shift the energy. We go, we, we bring about a counter energy that can bring us more to balance. Those are three or four things. You're welcome. Would anyone like to add anything to that? When you add all that extra stuff to it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to everyone here. Yeah. Thank you. It's... Um, Yeah, it's, it's very, very true. There's, um, you know, I'm very conscious, you know, of things which um, I'm fearful of, that there's a whole construction of reality and a, and a very elaborate belief system, which when I actually look carefully at the beliefs, they're mostly very problematic. But it's still, that doesn't, uh, in the moment, that doesn't matter. Well, it's, again, it's, it's, I think it's a very deep question. And I think my, my sense is, and maybe others can add to this, my sense says that um, there probably are some specific issues, not just about fear, but about being 16 years old, that are relevant here. That, um, you know, I'm, I, I was talking with um, a friend just yesterday. In fact, I was, I was talking with my friend who's... who's um, 
whose brother is, act, was act, is actually 17 who attempted um, uh, suicide. And we were talking about the way that in our culture we don't have the equivalent of initiation rites for young people. And as, this is something I know Jack is very interested in and has, has worked on with, with a number of people. But there, there is a way in which what is really required, and I think this would be part of a response, what is really required is part of what happens in initiation is that we come into a way of seeing the world in which we can deal with the, the dark material in, in that sense of difficult and even um, horrifying and some, what some people call evil. You know, that there's some way in which we don't have proper initiation to let people know this is the way the world is and here's a way to respond in which we don't get lost. We don't have that probably for ourselves as adults either. But, but I think that that's it's So part of it, I imagine, is a young person, just kind of a, probably a young, sensitive person, coming to grips with all the mammoth difficulties of the world. And how do I relate to this? You know, how do I even, is this a world I even want to be part of? And so there's, I, I believe that it's very possible that that, as it were, deeper quality, which is not just about fear, but about a lot of other things, would be part of a long, uh, sort of a long-term response. Um, so that's, that's one thing that occurs to me, because we don't, we don't have that. And I've had some friends who've worked to develop initiation for teenagers. You know, and I think, so, you know, you, you know I, several of my friends work with the teen retreats, that have been happening just in the last few years in this area, which I think are, they do go into that territory, and they serve partly to provide that kind of initiatory framework for people to, to deal with those issues and to, again, again, adults, we need these as well. Um, and then maybe um, to provide some, I guess to provide different tools this would be the smaller picture, to provide some tools to work with the fear would be a second way to, to go. I think the larger, the first point may be the most significant, but, but to provide some concrete tools which might be similar to what we were exploring here, it might be a different way of seeing, a different framework. It could be the ability to actually uh, not be terrified and scared of the fear itself. Could be to use some psychological tools, or maybe does does he uh, meditate? Is he interested? You know, he's actually expressed a little interest. Yeah, because that can that can be a tool to work to work with it. Mm-hmm. So to to have some way that the fear becomes workable, you know, to uh, it could be a lot of different a lot of uh, different tools. But I think if you think about it, maybe we like we mentioned uh, several tools for fear. Uh, with what's your name again? Diane. With Diane, you know, we mentioned sort of reframing, going into it, um, pr- applying an antidote, um, naming the contents. Uh, all of those can be helpful concretely in working with the fear. I think having some place to talk about it publicly with peers and mentors would also be really, really important. Yeah, because a lot of a lot of this whether it's for us or for a teenager, a lot of this 
gets more difficult when it's more hidden and private. And that's why, you know, I think we know that when we're in situations like this or in groups and someone names an issue that we've struggled with and then ten other people say, yeah, I'm struggling with that too. It, it, it takes the weight off because it takes the weight of judgment off. The weight of judgment says, I am uniquely afflicted. You know, everyone else is more or less doing this human thing right. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> and actually, maybe more of, the, more of the difficulty is with that one thought pattern than with almost anything else. Yeah, maybe last, last comment because we're near the end. Yeah. yeah. Noah is not. The book's here, Noah is not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, he tells a lot of his own story of, of really being somewhat lost as a teenager. And there's also my, um, my friend Diana Winston wrote the classic book on meditation for teenagers. And I would be only partly um, you know, cultivating self-interest for a friend to say that it's the holiday season. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book, and it, it looks at some of these issues. Uh, it's called Wide Awake. And so, uh, but, but and Noah's book has like firsthand stories of his own uh, coming, coming through the difficulties, you know, of being confused, angry, lost uh, into, you know, into, uh, I guess, what, drug, sex, and rock and roll? Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, thank you for the question. It's, I think, how many others are working with kind of similar issues with teenagers? Yeah. So you might actually connect with people after we finish. So are we ready to uh, take on some going into the dark practice in the next week? How many would like to do some some such practice? Okay. So let's just sit quietly and bring, you know, just bring to mind whatever was helpful from the morning, from the meditation and the discussion, talk. And I'll just mention again those five aspects of going into the dark, each of which could have their own um, practice forms. First, just being with the actual cycles of nature in terms of light and dark, and this being a darker time, and what's happening in the natural world. The second is darkness as ignorance. our own and that of others. Third is darkness as fertile, as um, yielding fruits and wonderful things. The fourth is darkness as difficulty. And the fifth is darkness as mystery. So please reflect on how you might like to work with 
Maybe not all five, but maybe just one or two that you want to focus on. Could be in your own daily practice or your own meditation practice when that occurs, or your interactions, or on something that's um, maybe bigger in your life. Some issue, some question. And set your intentions. How might I work in the next week with this theme? And what in particular will I do in the next 24 hours to help um, establish this intention so I don't forget it? So I can remember soon after this morning rather than three or four days from now. What will I do in the next 24 hours to ground those intentions to practice? And it might just be to remember it tonight or remember it tomorrow morning, to remember your intentions or to write them down. And so we close by remembering that we practice not just for ourselves, but for others as well. And may our our own sincerity, our own hard work, our own beauty, the fruits of our understanding and our fruits of our lives, may they be shared widely with all beings for the benefit, the healing, and the awakening of all beings. So, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.